and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Major League Baseball's deadline, and we've already got ourselves some significant news. Tim McAuliffe back in the saddle. There he is. Not quite the return of the Mac, more the return of the Mick. As you saw, Jesse Rubinoff, as you heard, Jesse Rubinoff with me, as always, in the dog pound, apparently. <laughs> and you, the friend of the show, riding shotgun at Tim and Friends on Twitter and Instagram. This is going to be one of those days, Jesse. Judging by the news that is rolling in at Major League Deadline T minus 25 hours. Yeah, you have a flair for the dramatic, eh? I got a feeling our Twitter and Instagram are lighting up right they now. They are lighting up, uh, partly because you're back, number one, and then also because a lot's going on. Last time you came back from vacation, yes. I'm pretty sure it was uh, the day Charlie Montoya was let go by the Blue Jays. Yeah, the first day back, Charlie Montoya was yeah. fired. We had ourselves, what, like a four-hour show Something that like day? that, yeah. I think it was actually four <laughs> yeah. hours, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. And now today, things are happening as we're uh, 25 hours, as you said, from the trade deadline. We're going to be on hey, live listen. during the, the when the deadline passes tomorrow, too, right? Listen, Sportsnet, all you have to do apparently is send me on vacation yeah. and have me. <laughs> so more vacation for McAuliffe, more things happen for you That's to right. report on here. Uh, maybe you got questions that you want to throw at our guests today because it seems like people are pissed. Shai Davidi, Arden Zwelling, Tim Kirchin on a deadline eve that has already seen a blockbuster stunner. Word that Shohei Otani is staying put in Anaheim. And another one on the Jays' perhaps fans' wish list ticked off by going to the Yankees. All that coming up on an Emancipation Day edition of Tim and Friends. We've also got Plays of the Week lined up for your viewing pleasure and Kenny the Jet Smith on the life and times of Bill Russell, a man Kenny played for in Sacramento early in his career and stayed close with for stayed close with for decades honored honored that Kenny chose us to share his thoughts on one of the greatest winners that North American sport has ever seen hope you are jacked as well that's coming your way second hour of the show but I know what you're saying Uncle Timmy what's going on with the Jays and the deadline we've got you covered not only Shai Davidi Arden Zwelling but first things first here are your top stories of the day with my friend Ruby I'm glad to be back so let's do this Jonas Valanciunas Oh, a classic for the first day back. I think that was the first one. Oh, ever? That was the first one after we stole What's the Word, Larry Bird from Ted Lasso. Right. My first What's the Word, Larry Bird was Let's Do This, Jonas Valanciunas. So good whenever I'm in a good spot, the Let's Do This, Jonas Valanciunas good is timing. where I go to. Good timing. So uh, let's do this, Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> Brian Leach, and I didn't think about this. Uh, he's obviously smarter than all of us. Uh, so Timmy took his holiday time, then came back just in time to work on a holiday. That is correct. Yeah. That yeah. is correct. Right, yeah. That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> I see it that's there. True. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse so trying good. to figure it out. Yeah. I took my holiday time. Yeah. But we always work holiday. I don't know how this the first show of Tim and Sid on TV was on July 1st. Yeah. Canada Day. Yep. It was a free agent frenzy day. It was the day Phil Kessel got dealt from the Toronto Police to the Pittsburgh Penguins. What? And for some reason that set a precedent that we work every holiday going forward and it's just been makes the way sense. since nobody's doing anything except watching i don't know if do it makes sense do you still get do people still ask you if you're off on 
regular holidays because I'm still get that like amongst uh, friends and family. Oh, or without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you're not working Monday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am. I am. My my so uh, my football pool guys always schedule it for Labor Day. Always. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, I work every Labor Day. I work. I can't do it. Flavor so good. Day. What are you scrolling through? Is there good stuff there? No, no, no. I'm just getting right. emails sent. All right. That's it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. The dominoes, as Timmy alluded to, are starting to fall as MLB's trade deadline approaches about 30 minutes ago. News broke that the Yankees have acquired Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino, not to be confused with Lee Trevino from the Athletics. Montas nice. was one of the top starters available and was one of the targets of the Blue Jays. New York giving up four prospects, including their fifth-ranked prospect left-handed pitcher, Ken Waldachuk. Meanwhile, the Padres have reportedly acquired Josh Hader from the Brewers, Milwaukee, getting back Taylor Rogers, Denelson Lamette, and two prospects for the all-star closer. And one of the biggest names is off the market, the Angels saying they will not trade Shohei Otani, the Yankees, Padres, and White Sox were three teams most recently linked to the two-way superstar. Otani has another year to go before he can become a free agent. And another deal happening just moments ago, the Houston Astros acquiring Trey Mancini from the Orioles. Mancini hitting 268 with two home runs this season. Uh, so obviously a lot is happening. Rays uh, acquiring Jose Siri from the Astros as part of the three-team deal, sending Mancini from the Orioles to the Houston Astros. That coming moments ago from Ken Rosenthal. Uh, every time someone says Jose Siri, my uh, my phone uh, usually I, responds, but it hasn't <laughs> yeah, responded this time. So good. You you are one of the few people that act, I noticed have uh, used Siri quite regularly. Oh, all the time, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I talk to her all Impressive. the time. Uh, so what's the most significant move so far that you've seen? The hater one is interesting. Uh, once you get over the shock, you can kind of sort of figure it out. And even the, the Brewers release trying to explain it is something that I think we should get to a little later on. But we live in an AL East world, and the Yankees getting Montas as well as Trevino uh, add Efros to the mix, which I thought was a low-key, very, very strong move. And we are getting back to, like, evil empire-type yeah, stuff. Like, the AL East leaders by 11 and a half games getting stronger and stronger. And I know, I can already feel it. I haven't even surfed our mentions as of yet, but whenever it goes to 20-plus, on the old computer screen I know things are going on and I know it's Jays fans yeah. and they're wondering what are the Jays left with here I mean they've been linked with Jose Quintana maybe Noah Syndergaard still there but it feels like the Castillo Hall late on Friday night may have changed the market a little bit but let me tell you if the Yanks do all this and the Jays are left holding the bag there might be some Efros in Toronto too if you know what I'm talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's F. Ross Atkins. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly basically what's happening right now. Like, I'll go still, through a couple on. of the mentions. Can I just say something? And I know that the mentions are this. There is still 24 hours and uh, 52 minutes until the deadline. Uh, not if you go through the mentions. <laughs> okay, the so deadline's already, the, mentions. the deadline's already passed. Right, uh, Dom writes in and says, obvious conservative approach to the deadline by Atkins. It's unfortunate that the prime of this lineup will never no, have Dom. the reinforcements it will need to contend. Dom is... Dom's feeling it right That's now. That's like the Marcus Stroman. They'll yeah. never surround. Yeah. yeah. Wait a second. There we go. I don't mean Steph, sure. Uh, this core isn't ready to compete against the Yankees and Astros yet. Yeah. 
Which I, is, Jeff Passan yeah. was on the show last week and said, it's not the craziest thing in the world to not give up your prospects this year because the Yankees and Astros are so good. And, th- and we posted that, and Jays fans didn't like to hear it. But that is an angle that this front office can elect to take, right? Yeah, the, the, I would say this, though. Adding arms to the bullpen isn't going to cost you your top four prospects. Right. Like, that's the part of it. And listen, that can happen in the 24 hours, 51 minutes, and 48 seconds that we have remaining until the deadline. So I would, I would preach a little patience here. I think Frankie Montas was a guy that Jays fans may have wanted. And, and maybe another starting pitcher. I'm not going to say that, uh, that Kikuchi is fixed by one no, start here or that Jose Quintana or Noah Syndergaard solve all of your problems. But I do think that there are significant moves the Jays can still make that could make them significantly better. And I do believe that what they've already got, if Barrios is the Barrios that we have seen here in July, that the Jays can still compete for a World Series and fortify a bullpen that needs fortifying and has needed fortifying since the start of the season. Without a doubt. Right. Like, so, I, yeah. It's, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I think they can win right now. Like, they can win right, they need the bullpen arms, but everybody knows this. This is not nothing like that, that's that crazy. Everybody knows they've needed bullpen arms for two years. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my question is, are they, are they leaving it so close to the deadline where a lot of these relievers are under contract for a while that th- the price might be higher than they thought it was going to be? Well, he, that's why they haven't made a move yet. Here's Buster Only who suggests that they probably won't stand pat. And... This is Blue Jays figure to be one of the more active teams in the next 25 hours, 43 minutes. As obviously, this was tweeted out about an hour ago as they continue to pursue starting pitching and bullpen help. So if there's a starting pitcher out there, and I've already mentioned two that are still out there, I think all the people who are pissed off right now will be, they'll be satisfied by the end of this deadline. But I do think, and I'll say this, if I were to criticize... Shapiro and Atkins, it would be that you hadn't gotten the bullpen help yet. Mm-hmm. But there were dominoes to fall, and obviously Charlie Montoya was one of those dominoes to fall. And that's kind of played out the way we said it would, right? Yeah. That the Jays would go on a little bit of a run because the schedule afforded timing, it. Yeah. And the timing for the firing may have been to put John Schneider in the best position to succeed. So you saw a couple of Tigers seemingly try out for the Jays bullpen this weekend and look pretty damn good <laughs> doing so. I don't know how many the Tigers are going to be willing to part with, but there are significant pieces that can still be added. So I would just preach, as I always do for some reason, preach a little bit of patience to Jays fans. If you have any more that you want to get to, I will listen. But I would I would preach some patience yeah. while saying I would have liked to have already seen a reliever added to this bullpen. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of the same um, from what I, I had already gone through. So uh, why don't we just continue with some some other stuff? Uh, Jeff Passan, as I just got this sent to me, the full deal for Trey Mancini. Uh, Trey Mancini and Jaden Murray, Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, Tampa Bay getting uh, Jose Siri. And this is something that I, I wanted to ask about the Yankees and whether they're done and whether that the trades that they've made today takes them out of the Soto running. And then we've gotten this, uh, Mike Rodriguez, who Hector Gomez has since followed up on, said Dodgers are close to acquiring Juan Soto from the Nationals. They are talking intensely. Padres and Cardinals still on the talk. And uh, Hector uh, confirming or reporting this from from Mike Rodriguez. So uh, I guess the Yankees are out on Soto. They've done their damage for the most part. Well, but no, the Yankees aren't done on Soto because here's the deal. Ken Waldachuk is their fifth-ranked prospect. 
uh, in the Frankie Montas yeah. deal. Uh, he now becomes the A's top-rated prospect, so that tells you something about the A's system. Luis Medina, who also went in that deal, is their 10th-rated prospect. J.P. Sears, their 20-rated prospect. And Cooper Bauman, is their they still got their How? top yeah. four prospects in the system, so they still could be in on Juan Soto at this point. Now, listen, I'm not disputing Hector Gomez and or his colleague Mike Rodriguez. What I'm saying to you is the Yankees, by virtue of this deal, are not out on Soto. Now, what the Dodgers are offering up, I feel like the San Diego Padres force the Dodgers into certain things by showing just how interested they are in catching the Los Angeles Dodgers. Because there was a point where I was thinking, maybe this is the Padres' race to lose. And to see that the Dodgers are now apparently the front runner for Juan Soto is like... On one hand, shocking, and on the other hand, pure Los Angeles Dodgers, because every deadline, they do this. And apparently, they outbid last year to make the moves that they made. Trey Turner, among them, made some pretty significant moves at the deadline, right? Last year, and apparently, yeah. it was in part to outbid what the San Diego Padres were in on, and the Padres are standing there looking. It's just very interesting because you said the evil empire thing, and I think the Dodgers are basically the National League version of the evil empire, the Yankees. And usually they're teams that outspend everybody else during free agency, but now it happens in the deadline where they have the prospect pool to be able to make big splashes yeah. like this. They do it both ways. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that the Dodgers are able to spend the money and they're also <laughs> able to spend the prospect capital because they do it the right way. Right. And the Yankees do it the right way too. Yeah. Now, it used to be that they just it was all money. But if you look at the Yankees system i mean immediately ken waldachuk goes from number five ranked prospect in the yankees system to number one ranked prospect in the a system yeah. like that's what they've done that's what makes and that's what the jays are trying to build here yet here we are with an absolutely stacked prospect pool and the jays have yet to pull the trigger which makes it interesting very very interesting now we got shy davidi we got arden zwelling both joining us Next segment, and we got Tim Kirchin a little bit later on. If in, if, in fact, Soto gets dealt to the Dodgers, we'll have that for you, and we'll talk to Kirchin about Baseball it. Baseball is insane right now. It's fun. Uh, okay, the Blue Jays are off today as they prepare to open a two-game series in Tampa Bay on Tuesday. Toronto coming off a 4-1 win over the Tigers and taking three of four in that series, and now they're 12-3 since they were swept in Seattle, the good vibes continuing last night as Jose Barrios and George Springer hosted a beach-themed party. Now, Timmy, what's yeah. been most impressive to you during this run, excluding beach-themed party? Let's keep it on the field. I do, uh, I do want to shout out that dude, Jordan Romano, because I feel like, despite the fact that he's from Markham, he does not get near enough respect for what is now a career high and an AL leading um, 24 save. Yeah. I had to look down at the notes to make sure it was 24 and not 25 or 23. It is, in fact, 24 saves. I want to give some love to Jordan Romano, who has been a rock in an otherwise somewhat inconsistent Jays bullpen at best. Maybe I was going to say underperforming, but... Maybe it's just performing to what it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. right? Like, that's where I was going to go. I was yeah. going to go underperforming, and then I second-guessed myself because maybe it's just not there. You know what they are. You, know, you, got, you bring in certain guys. You know what they are. You know Simber and Richards pitch to contact, and yeah. sometimes they're going to get hit. And it's, do you, want, you feel comfortable going into the playoffs 
in a situation where you have guys that have the ability to give up bombs like we've seen. Right. Like, that is the question. And so if they don't make a move, that's what they're choosing to do. So shout out, and all I wanted to make the point here was, Shout out Jordan Romano because I'm going to answer Matt Chapman. He is swinging this stuff. Yeah, Matt Chapman, go ahead. Yeah, Matt Chapman <laughs> seems to be the answer to that question. And listen, there, there was another one where a lot of Jays fans were upset that it wasn't, it was Matt Chapman and it wasn't Jose Ramirez. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the number, I mean, the last 18 days are just off the charts. I mean, he has been unbelievable. But if you look at the numbers, the war numbers, the, the defensive metric numbers, if you look at what he's doing with the bat, and obviously it's been helped by the last little while, and what has been a red-hot Chapman, you could argue that he's been a better third baseman this year than Jose Ramirez. Wow. Yeah, you could certainly saying something. Could certainly make that argument. It's it's just looking like the Blue Jays lineup is not uh, the place that needs to be supplemented at all. They are as dangerous now as we anticipated they were going to be at the beginning of the year, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at what Chapman's been able to do, and you look at yesterday, Jose Barrios, and. I don't know. For, for me, the confidence is at uh, not nearly an all-time high because of, of last year, how good well, he was. People are feeling good. But but you have to. Look at what he's done in July. Yeah. Right? A three ERA. And if he's moving the way he's moving right now, you're, you're going to the playoffs with a, a top three that uh, is pretty good. And I, I would put up against almost, almost anybody. Right? So I, I guess how confident are you in, in what you've seen from him? Look at that. Like you're looking at the numbers right now. How confident are you in Barrios at the moment? In Barrios, I mean, let's let's see it continue. But as we've said, most of the year he has been among the most, if not the most consistent pitcher in the American League over the last five years. And we were expecting him to find it and regress to the mean. And for him, the mean is a lot better than it was heading into mm -hmm. this month. Uh, I think I would like to see the Jays either add or think that they've got something fixed in Kikuchi that makes because listen if you end up in the wild card spot I know a lot of people are saying once you get to the playoffs you might even go down to three mm -hmm. but not if you're in the wild card because you never know how long that series is going to be and you never know how quick the turnaround is going to be so you the way you line it up versus the way it works out I mean stripling would be your <laughs> would be your fourth starter, maybe even your third, depending on how everyone's going into the postseason. So it feels like they've got something there in Stripling and or Kikuchi, but I wouldn't be surprised if they add something, maybe a little risk-reward in the starting rotation going forward. And then, of course, as you were mentioning, the bullpen. But Barrios, honestly, looking like the guy that they signed to a seven-year deal worth over $130 million. Exactly right. Fun to follow, John Schneider, 11-3 in his tenure as the Blue Jays manager so far. A very impressive run. Um, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson has been suspended six games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy following accusations of sexual misconduct. The decision was made by disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson. In the ruling, she wrote, there was not enough evidence for an indefinite suspension. The NFLPA has already said they will not appeal the suspension, while the league has three days to decide whether or not to appeal. As part of her 15-page report, Robinson wrote, quote, although this is the most significant punishment ever imposed on an NFL player for allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct, Mr. Watson's pattern of conduct is more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Tim, what do you make of this suspension? It's not done, is what I make of this suspension. And listen, for those who don't know, Watson's side, basically, there was a negotiation here that lasted the entire investigation between 
the NFL, the NFLPA, and Watson's lawyers mm -hmm. on a suspension. They could not come to a conclusion. And what Watson's side wanted was a six to eight game suspension. And what the NFL wanted was a 12 game suspension. And what we have here is a six game suspension and Watson's side is happy, the NFL PA is happy, and we've heard absolutely nothing from the NFL. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, listen, the NFL's past when it comes to suspensions and handing down suspensions isn't the greatest track record in the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if they've been saying this all along. We want 12 games and a significant fine and leaking that out so that rumors and innuendo can suggest that the NFL wants to come down hard on this. Then they have an independent investigator suggest six and they say we reluctantly agree with the independent... All I can say is I don't think this is over and this is so Cleveland Browns to give three first round picks to the Texans and sign a guy to the richest deal in NFL history, then have him suspended for the first six games. Never mind inviting a guy who at best is a really creepy individual who leveraged his privilege yeah. to coerce people into things that they didn't seem to want to do and at worst a predator into the room this is what the cleveland browns did and because of it they are now releasing another statement and it just to me it seems like this is all so cleveland browns so the nfl and i don't think it's over but it wouldn't shock me if it was over you know what's really sad, too, is that this decision is a win for the Browns. Like, it could have been much worse than, than this from their perspective. And that sucks. Because they ended up... Yeah, the Browns fans don't deserve any of this. No. That's, that's the part mess. of this, is I feel for Cleveland Browns fans. But let's be honest here. It doesn't seem like Deshaun Watson's a very good human being. No. no. And when you go and pick up really good football players who aren't good human beings, sometimes you you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is what the Browns sowed. And it's, it's a damn shame, but it's the truth. Completely agree. All right, uh, before we, I, I just, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to acknowledge something before we moved on, and I know we have to move on. The sports world lost a legend on Sunday, and I do not use that term lightly. Bill Russell was an absolute legend. And he passed away peacefully yesterday at the age of 88. And sometimes in my role, it feels important to remember a legacy or moreover, pass it along to those who are too young to understand it. Bill Russell represented what everyone wants to be. And that's just the facts. He was a man who carried himself with honor, class and dignity. And he was a winner. Man, was he a winner. Russell won everywhere, an Olympic gold medal. Unheralded out of high school, he won two NCAA titles. And his record, 11 NBA titles are as many as Jordan and Magic combined. Perhaps my favorite stat of all when it comes to Bill Russell in his career, he played 10 game sevens. He won every damn one. 10 and 0. And his Celtics in his prime won eight straight titles. Sure, there were other Hall of Famers on that team, but Bill was their undeniable leader. Hell, at a time when Wilt Chamberlain was putting up 2K numbers, a man who once averaged 50 and 25 a game 
Wilt won just two titles and four MVPs, while Russell won 11 and five MVPs, despite never averaging more than 18.9 points per game. When it was all said and done, Wilt, despite all the accolades and all the numbers that he had put up, said he was jealous of what Bill Russell had. And it wasn't just him. Russell just had that aura, that presence, that leadership, and it never left. Because for Bill in life and in basketball, it was never about individual accolades. All he cared about was winning on the court, in the civil rights movement, and while mentoring generation after generation in the game of his life. His message was always clear. It was always about the team. It was always about the win. And for that, he earned respect. Starting in the 50s and 60s in Boston, where and when, respect for a black man was hard to come by. In fact, when the team traveled south, he was forced to stay in different hotels than his white teammates. Nobody said the winning was easy. But when he did, on the Civil Rights Trail, as a part of the Cleveland Summit, his honor, his dignity, carried about as well as any athlete we've ever seen. And because of it, other pros gravitated to him. The biggest stars of the game existed around his orbit because he had it. He had what everyone wanted to be and it wasn't just the titles. It was how he carried himself with integrity and uncompromising principle. And it was that integrity, those principles, that honor, that dignity that allowed him to be a winner. Long after his playing days were done, Bill Russell was a champion in every sense of the word. Maybe the greatest the sports world has ever seen, and he will be missed. But as Babe Ruth once said, heroes are remembered, but legends live forever. Well said. All right, time for the break, but still to come. Kenny the Jet Smith shares his thoughts on his former coach, Bill Russell, and we are so happy that he chose us to do that with. Newly minted baseball Hall of Famer, Tim Kirchin, ahead of the trade deadline. And after the break, we're talking Jays. Deadline, Shai Davidi, Arden Zwelling. Do the Jays need to do something? <laughs> Will they do it soon? Him and friends, we're back, baby. Law sets, and again the 2-2. And it's driven to center. And it is gone! What a huge hit. Time is running out to make a move at the deadline. I think there's something cooking on a bigger scale for the Blue Jays. I think that they're going to make two moves on this bullpen, and those deals take some time. Trade deadline coming up on Tuesday, and no name bigger than Juan Soto. Can England end their 56 years of hurt? Bouncing around dangerously in there. Can England poke it in? Yes, they can! And England are the European champions! The hosts with the most! Hit here would likely give the Blue Jays the lead with two in scoring position and two down. And it's driven to center. And it is gone. How badly did the Blue Jays need that one? The Blue Jays secure a 5-3 victory here this afternoon. Jose Barrios making his way onto the mound on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Barrios for the sixth start in a row allows three earned runs or fewer. Start to Look more and more like the guy the Blue Jays traded for last year. Drilled to left field. It's gone. 
Chapman keeps on rolling. Romano blows Cabrera away to pick up the save. And the Blue Jays are 12 games over 500. 12 and 3 also since the sweep in Seattle momentum building into deadline day. So we decided to dive deep into Blue Jays baseball with not one. With two guests from Tampa, Shai Davidi from Toronto, Arden Zwellen. Both of them joining me now. Gentlemen, thank you very much for doing this. Pleasure. Um, I hope you appreciate the golf clap from yeah. both Carson and Jesse Rubinoff in the studio. I will add yeah. a few to that mix. They deserve right. it. So it feels like we're swirling here. We've got rumors from Hector Gomez. We've got a Montas deal. It feels like the Yankees are the evil empire once again. Arden, I'll start with you. What do you think the craziest possibility for the Toronto Blue Jays is right now? The craziest possibility, possibility. for the Blue Jays. I mean, do you have to say Juan Soto? I don't know. How about Carlos Rodon? Wouldn't that be pretty wild if the Blue Jays pulled something off for him from the San Francisco Giants? Just thinking about like the risk reward of that potential acquisition. Because remember, Rodon has this very unique contract situation. He's got a two-year, $44 million deal, but he's also got an opt-out after this year because he surpassed 110 innings pitched. But he's only on that deal because of the significant shoulder and elbow issues that he's had earlier in his career. This is a guy who coming off of the season he had last year should have signed like a five six year um, deal, but there was a lot of injury concern there. So if you're the Blue Jays, do you go out and get a Rodon from San Francisco and take that risk? Because he's very likely to opt out if he continues healthy and performing the way he is now. But if he gets hurt, maybe you're going to end up paying him like $22 million next year to rehab an injury. But if he doesn't, you get this amazing impact performer, a starter who has like an absolutely electric shove it down your throat fastball with a wipeout slider playoff experience, everything that you want. So maybe that's the the craziest possibility I would throw out there. I, I like that one. Shy, what about you? I don't know if we're, we're just throwing darts at the wall here. How about Pablo Lopez from the Miami Marlins? You know, he fits uh, the Blue Jays to a T. He's uh, a tremendous starter. He's got a lot of control. He's going to be relatively inexpensive. Uh, compared to how talented he is. So he fits from a payroll perspective for multiple years. It's going to cost a King's ransom. It's going to cost the Luis Castillo return plus, I would expect. Uh, and the Marlins would have to be really motivated to make it happen. But if we're throwing darts at the wall. We are. We're throwing darts here. I'm not trying to radio <laughs> any of you guys. We're throwing darts. Let it be known to all Jays fans. Uh, we're throwing darts here. But I, I like those two options there uh, on the on the table. So, if we were to change from darts in the wall, the focuses, uh, what are the Jays' focuses right now? And, and is that any different in your mind to what they should be? No, they're pretty focused. Really, I would say probably yesterday onwards, the focus started narrowing a little bit on a starter, on a couple of relievers. There's been lots of talk about possibly adding a left-handed bat. Uh, there would be a case to be made for that. I don't think that's top of pri priority list right now and i think they're trying to get creative the rental market is probably where the the pieces are going to come on the relief front i think the jays are a little bit reluctant to invest both significant prospect capital and money into relievers knowing how volatile they are but there is a case to be made for a high-end bullpen ad and an interesting name i don't know how how 
how much smoke there is to this. But, you know, what, keep an eye on Raysel Iglesias if the Los Angeles Angels decide to do something with him. You know, that's somebody who's been around, has got some experience, isn't going to shy away at the moment. He would fit. It would be a bit of a departure for the Blue Jays. It would certainly be a move out of their comfort zone. Uh, you know, I do think that David Robertson's another person to watch closely. Uh, there's a lot of uh, that's a rental and it more tracks with the kind of bullpen moves the Blue Jays have made in recent years. Uh, but the, the net options are starting to narrow as names are coming yeah. off the board. And I do think the Blue Jays have to do something. All right, Aaron, let's talk about those names coming off the board because Blue Jays fans seem to be pissed, at least on our Twitter account right now. Uh, they are spitting hot fire. I know there's inflation everywhere. It feels like the Luis Castillo deal set a bar pretty high. Is that why Montes wasn't someone that the Jays wanted? Uh, do you see them going after starting pitching here? Where do you see this going? Yeah, inflation is everywhere and on the MLB trade market as well. And Castillo really set that that high watermark or that high bar, I guess. But then even you look at the, the Josh Hader deal. I mean, he goes for a present day closer, a really hard throwing reliever and like two of San Diego's top 10 prospects. I mean, that's for a reliever, right? I um, mean, look at this Montes deal here with Lou Trevino as well. I thought Trevino might be a, a relief target for the Blue Jays. And you look at, you know, what the, the Yankees had to give up. Some of the prospect lists disagree on how high you should have Waldachuk and maybe Medina's better and who knows but what we know is they're all really good prospects and they're all um, it's it's a really high price and we've seen that it's a seller's market and prices are high so for the Blue Jays to acquire that type of impact premier high-end talent and perhaps most importantly controllable talent when you're talking about guys like Castillo and Montos Blue Jays might have to get a little bit uncomfortable and they might have to pay a, a very high price. We saw them do it last year with, with Barrios giving up Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin. But even just looking back on that year, that looks light in comparison and relative yeah. to what the prices are at this deadline for similar guys like Castillo and Montes. Shai, I know you wrote something similar last night. Uh, in fact, I pulled it up on my computer for all to see. I know you don't write the headlines. Even in an inflated market, Blue Jays can't afford to pass up trade opportunities. It feels like we're in that spot. Do, do you feel like the Jays um, feel the same way you do? I'm sure they do, right? What's really interesting to me as I was looking uh, along those lines, I was looking this up today, I wanted to compare where the Blue Jays playoffs odds were a year ago before they acquired Jose Barrios and see it relative to now. And a year ago, they were 26.2% before they made or took the plunge to get Jose Barrios. And this year they're standing at 97.2%, right? So they're making the playoffs. And whereas last year, the Blue Jays definitely needed a high impact move. You know, this year, they're more looking at finishing moves, right? You don't want to take for granted that they're going to make the postseason, but barring some major surprise, they should be in a playoff series. You can start looking to what are some of the pieces the Blue Jays need to succeed in the playoffs. You certainly, they certainly need to be adding some more depth in order to make sure they get there. But there is a way for them to also start targeting what you need to succeed in the playoffs. That's obviously the bullpen. And, you know, the bullpen, bullpen is an area where, again, there's a lot of volatility. Teams can be reluctant to invest money in. But when push comes to shove in the playoffs, it's often bullpens that are deciding games. And so, you know, the Blue Jays certainly have Jordan Romano and Jimmy Garcia, a couple guys that immediately popped to mind as, you know, relievers they would feel comfortable with the fate of their season and the ball in their hand. Uh, but they probably need a couple more of those guys too. 
Arden, uh, the list has always been the same, at least since the start of the year. People screaming about left-handed bats, uh, starters maybe, and bullpen, although I, I think once Kikuchi started to struggle and Ryu went down, the starters were added to the list, to be fair. Do you think that that's changed? Has maybe the left-handed bat gone away, given how well they've hit right-handed pitching? I think it would be hard to uh, to imp- or to upgrade on on this position player side, even incrementally. At this point, like you could look at the Zimmer spot, you could look at the Collins spot. There's part of me that's like, man, you carry Bradley Zimmer all year long, and the guy has like 50 plate appearances. His best utility is in September and October. I mean, you carried him this far. Don't you have to get to the point in the season when he can be that Dalton Pompey stealing two right. bases off the bench, or he can be that late game defensive replacement making a game changing catch in the field? I mean, it, I agree with Shy. I think this team is good enough right now to reach the postseason and good enough to have its bullpen exposed once it gets there because this bullpen is not good enough to win a, a long postseason series maybe they could get fortunate in a three-game wild card series but i don't think this bullpen has nearly enough strikeout nearly enough swing and miss ability to get through a, a seven game series and to win a world series ultimately so that's where it comes down to some of the names we've been throwing around david robertson michael fulmer michael givens those are some of the the rental names available and look it's uncomfortable as a front office when you are trading like a legit prospect for a rental reliever. It's just as uncomfortable when you're paying big free agent dollars for a reliever. It's not something you ever want to do as a GM or a president of baseball operations because it's just never gonna it's never gonna line up on that dollars for war value spectrum. It doesn't make sense. Relievers are so volatile, guys can just fall off of cliffs so quickly, and you give up a really highly touted prospect for one. I mean, look at the Dodgers, even they're a cautionary tale here the Dodgers traded Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields and Josh Fields is a fine reliever for them but now Jordan Alvarez is like the best hitter in baseball and the Dodgers didn't win a World Series when they had Josh Fields they traded O'Neill Cruz the Dodgers for Tony Watson ask them how that went the Dodgers would love to unwind those deals so even the best organization in baseball has made missteps trading premium prospect talent for relievers but also says something that they got to the point where they were willing to accept the discussion comfort in doing that because they were close enough they felt to winning a world series all right under two minutes here and i want to get into some soto chat given the fact that you brought up the dodgers and we just saw the hector gomez rumor that the dodgers may be leading the way on soto right now shy i'll start with you uh were the jays ever in on soto and are they out on soto well, I don't know if they're necessarily out on Soto, and I don't know how in they were, but I definitely know that they explored it. And how far that got, that's a, a, an interesting question. The Jays, in all likelihood, would have to subtract from their big league roster to make that happen. That's a pretty difficult thing to do with the way that they're set up, because what you want to do is add, and you don't want to replace. You know, the one scenario where you know I could see them maybe trying to find a replacement is you know do in the corner outfield but it's that but that's not the type of player that the washington nationals would want back you know i can't see them doing that deal without a alec manoa or alejandro kirk and those are both non-starters for the jays at this point so uh where this lands i'm not sure you know the dodgers would certainly fit they would have the depth to be able to withstand the type of package that that would require. And uh, what a scary team that would be if that ends up happening. Can I just ask you if you left Bo Bichette out of that mix? And there's been a lot of talk around Bo Bichette and this deal amongst fans. Have you heard anything on Bo Bichette being included in this deal or the Nationals asking for Bo Bichette back? 
Well, if, if I'm thinking about it from the Nationals' perspective, you've got three years with Bo Bichette. You're, you're just winning one extra year of control. And I suppose maybe the thinking is that you've got a better chance of extending Bo Bichette if Juan Soto doesn't want to sign on the dotted line. But I wouldn't you if you're if you're kicking the can down the road, wouldn't you want as much control as possible? And I just don't really see how Bichette would necessarily time with that. Right. Set up to their timing. Uh, Arden, before we let both of you go, and I do appreciate you joining us, does it seem like the Dodgers would be a likely destination for Soto? And if so, are they now into the evil empire status? Because we're just talking about the Yankees going back in that spot. They should be motivated, right? Because if he doesn't go to the Dodgers, he might go to the Padres, right. and that is the Dodgers' direct composition. So competition. So in a way, you're kind of like hurting your your most direct enemy as well by adding a Soto. And like this is the type the type of stuff that the Dodgers can do, right? You talk about the evil empire; they don't get that quite that same blowback that the Yankees do. But I mean, the Dodgers spend like the Yankees do. They develop better than anybody. They draft incredibly. They absolutely crush the international market. They are like way ahead on development stuff the teams are now catching up to like they started the whole swing decisions thing like that was a Dodgers thing five six years ago and now organizations like the Blue Jays are like yeah swing decisions swing decisions so the Dodgers <laughs> were on this long ago and that's why the Dodgers are so good think about it they've been to the playoffs like 10 years in a row this is not a team that's picking towards the top of the draft no. and it's not like you can trade draft picks in MLB they are finding premium talent towards the back end of rounds of the draft and continuing to develop them into MLB regulars into stars into uh, a position where this club can make deals like Scherzer last year and take them out from from under the the Padres nose right they get Turner in that deal as well I mean they trade for Mookie Betts they had Manny Machado as a rental we forget about that and now here they are <laughs> yeah. in the Juan Soto sweepstakes as well. It's it's really a remarkable franchise. Yeah, AJ Preller is in San Diego going, shake hotter, boy, shake. Damn Dodgers! Uh, it'll be <laughs> interesting to see if they end up uh, getting Soto. Boys, thanks for doing this. Always appreciate it. Thank you. There are, uh, Have a good one. Two of the best on the Jay Shidaviti mm -hmm. and Arden Zwelling. We're going to take a break, but we'll get to the Monday traditions up next. Plays of the week. And if anything were to break during the plays of the week or during the show, period, we will get it to you because that's what we do here on Tim and Friends. Rubinoff, McAuliffe, back after these with your plays of the week. Hey, listen, we didn't invest in fancy graphics for nothing. Jesse, it's time for the PO Dubs. There's a nice breeze here, too. Can we do the whole show from here? It's a little hot. Yeah, no, I like a little warm. Right How did the plays of the week go uh, last week? Sorry, a little nosy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. How is he ever going to smell out of that thing ever again? I think it may be broken. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I think it may be broken. Uh, Pirates fans, really committed or just losers? I, I'm going to go with the latter. Yeah, I'll go you with the latter. You call. Yeah. Uh, speaking of those Pirates, on the diamond, Chris Morrill oh. at the dish. Ben Gamble, Superman. Just an unbelievable catch there. Moral of the story is that Morrill can't catch a break. Because check this out. All right, Cubs and Giants, Sunday Night Baseball to the wall. Luis Gonzalez robs them. Oh. Having a tough week, but let's be honest here. Let's Has anyone on. checked the guy in the green? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, one, no one noticed that on the great catch. I didn't catch. see that. No. That's good. That's no really good. one noticed that in the great catch. This play right here is the reason why we have slow-mo. Check out Jeff McNeil in slow motion. Yeah, that's, that's one of the coolest replays you'll see. Frankly, 
That is Matrix exact stuff right there. Reason. That is Matrix tapes. Uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, easy pop up. This is why we don't have replays on oh. Sunday. You should Calgary. go play for the Red Sox. I play for the Royals. Yeah, <laughs> good boy. <laughs> My mind's still thinking about that fan. Mets and Marlins. Brian De La Cruz chasing the foul ball down. There's got to be a joke about a Marlin in the net, right? <laughs> yeah. Very good. I don't know what it is. I've I'm been not, waiting I'm not for quick this to happen. To come no? up with it. Yeah, it's I've been good. waiting for this to happen with the new netting. Caught a big one there. Shouldn't Very we just impressive. force people to pay attention? I don't know. Yeah. I know they come down like a shot. It just seems like 115 off the bat. Scary. Do you find these insta moves impressive? Whoa. Zion Williamson. <laughs> that, is, that is. That's the white Zion Williamson. Yeah, is, yeah. That's all that is. The bounce. It's like you watch Zion, you're like, how does this guy possibly get up? And that's the what it looks like. The second one seems fake. Yeah. Pass of the week goes to Chelsea. It's Gray. all fake. No oh. one available, but look at this dish. Is that legal from, from uh, oh, the inbounds? Very legal. We need more of that. You don't that shuffle the feet too much. Few advantages to being bald. I count five of them. Maybe six. <laughs> Good fan content today. Uh, Alessia Russo. Oh, stopped oh, back heel. Or is she? Oh, not bad. Back heel is one of my favorites in soccer. This is like going over. This is like just completely shocked the keeper. I love the back heels where you're trying. This was just surprise. Oh, Ole too. A little nutmeg. Yeah. Sticking with soccer, Juve Barcelona friendly, but Usman Dembele wasn't friendly at all. Oh, another one. Oh, That's two nutmegs. Whoop. And God. One of the great handles in sports, too. Usman Dembele. Awful defending, incredible footwork. You make the call. Soccer goals are up there for highlights for oh, me. Wait. Steph you? started something with the sleeping thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, he did. Football Imagine of a different cool. kind. We all roll our eyes at uh, camp stuff, but this is Steelers rookie George Pickens. Watch again, Jesse. One, two, three. Oh, we caught it. Yeah, well, whatever. You good with that? What, no. what, he's like getting up like it's a big deal. Like, come on. Just practice, buddy. Big fan of Chris Kirk? Yeah, I actually am a fan of Chris Kirk. And we'll call him Christopher when you back that thing up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, oh, that's good. Not as good as Tony Finau, though. Back to back. Where he be now? On Where top. Where he be now. And yeah, of course, is. we can't do the plays of the week without acknowledging our homeboy, yeah. our friend. Welcome back, Buck. Good to have you. Fans, please join the Toronto Blue Jays as we welcome back a familiar voice we know and love. Back in the broadcast booth, Buck Martinez. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be back. I was off on vacation when that happened, and I always find it really disingenuous and almost fake to just do it on Twitter, like, mm -hmm. instead of just sending a message. Welcome back, Buck. And the best video that I saw was him leaving. I don't know if you saw this. Outside Roger leaving Center? outside yeah, Roger yeah. Center. Fans know, hey, there's Buck. And they it just started clapping. We asked him about that on the show. Yeah, he's oh. just, uh, yeah. He's the voice of Blue Jays. You hear Buck, you think of Blue Jays, baby. For generations. For generations. For generations. One of my, one of my first things in this business was going out to cover when he was hired as the Jays' manager. Come on. Yes. Uh, all right, we're about 24 hours away from the trade deadline. Who's leading the charge in the Soto sweepstakes? Tim Kirchin will join us next. We'll talk Jays and the rest of baseball. Max and Tim and Tim. Tim and Tim.
And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdog's back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour everywhere. No Jays game tonight. They have the day off, but... We'll fill it with whole grain goodness. Kenny the Jet Smith on the life and times of Bill Russell. We'll discuss England's triumph and the growth of women's soccer worldwide, plus Tim Kirchin in minutes on the looming MLB trade deadline tomorrow. But first, your news of the day. And we'll start in football before getting you to the rest of the baseball story. The Cleveland Browns and quarterback Deshaun Watson found out today that he has been suspended for six games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy following accusations of sexual misconduct. Now, the decision was made by disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson. In the ruling, she wrote, there was not enough evidence for an indefinite suspension. The NFLPA has already said they will not appeal the suspension. The league now has three days to decide whether or not they will appeal. As a part of her 15-page report, Robinson wrote, and I quote, although this is the most significant punishment ever imposed on an NFL player, for allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct, Mr. Watson's pattern of conduct is more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Got a feeling that story is not quite done. The baseball and the dominoes are starting to fall as the Major League Baseball deadline approaches. The Yankees have acquired Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino from the Athletics. Montas was one of the top starters available and if you listen to the rumor mill kids, one of the targets of the Blue Jays, Jays, excuse me, New York gave up four prospects, including their fifth-ranked prospect, left-handed pitcher Ken Waldachuk, to get Montes. Unexpected trade today. Brewers dealt their closer Josh Hader to the Padres for a four-player haul. Now, the Brewers lead the Central, and Hader is still under control through next season, though he will make 15, buck, 15 million bucks, which is a little bit more than 15 bucks. You got the idea. Devin Williams should take over the closer duties. He hasn't given up an earned run in 30 straight appearances. The full return for Hader looks like this. Padres closer Taylor Rogers goes the other way. He has 28 saves and a 435 ERA this season, but has struggled mightily in the past two months. Danielson Lamette and two prospects fill out the hall for the Brewers. The Padres also signed started Joe Musgrove to a five-year, $100 million extension earlier today. Now, after plenty of speculation about the availability of Shohei Otani, the dream of acquiring him at least in the next 24 hours appears to be over. John Heyman tweeting that the Angels are keeping Otani at the deadline and that the Yankees were among the teams to make an offer, but he also works in that market, so take it for what it is. The Astros have acquired outfielder first baseman Trey Mancini from the Orioles as a part of a three-team deal. The Rays getting outfielder Jose Siri in the deal, Mancini batting 268 with 10 homers this year. Baltimore, who have been a surprise and are just three games out of a playoff spot, will get multiple players in return. None of them, though, as good as Trey Mancini. Oh, it's much of a fan favorite. That one, to me, is just another kick in the teeth to Orioles fans. Meanwhile, Yankees did add another piece, acquiring reliever Scott Efros from the Cubs. 28-year-old rookie has been great this season, 266 ERA. 50 strikeouts in 44 innings. In return, the Yankees sent their seventh-ranked prospect, Hayden Wasinski, to the Cubs. The Yankees' bullpen has been depleted by injuries and struggled a wee bit of late, so they get a little help with F. Ross. I get a little help from my next guest, who's not only one of the best in the business, and we'll get to a busy day ahead of the deadline, 
but he's been a friend of a while and he joins us fresh off of his honoring in Cooperstown. The 2022 recipient of the BBWAA Career Excellence Award. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Kirchin, welcome and congratulations. What was last weekend like, Tim? Well, it was unforgettable. It was overwhelming. It was overpowering. And by May, after I won the award mm. and made my speech, Johnny Bench came up to me and said, come with me. And he took me out onto the back of the Otisaga Hotel, out to the veranda, where which overlooks this beautiful lake. And he says, come with me. And he says, we sit down, just the two of us outside. And he says, I want you to look at that lake for one minute, and I don't want you to say a word. I want you to think about where you are, how you got here, and how many people got you here. So there I am sitting next to the greatest catcher of all time, and my eyes are only on the lake, and I'm not saying a word, and I tear up again. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of, where this is what he does with all the first-time Hall of Fame players, and that day he did it with a writer. It doesn't get much better than that for me. I, I was just going to say, as, as a kid who grew up loving baseball, to imagine yourself in a situation where you're walking back in Cooperstown with Johnny Bench, I mean, what, what goes through the mind is, as, as Johnny Bench tells you to give it a minute here? It was unbelievable, but it wasn't the only moment. On the day we were going to the induction, Sunday morning, I'm on a bus with all these Hall of Famers and me. And there's one seat open left on our bus, and a very regal, elegant-looking man looks at me and says, can I sit next to you? And it was Sandy Koufax. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I just took a bus ride with the greatest catcher of all time. Now I'm sitting on the bus next to one of the greatest left-handed pitchers ever. That just kind of sums up how that weekend went in Cooperstown. It was amazing. A mutual friend, Adnan Verk, tells me it's epic. I believe him. Koufax, Bench, that's quite the daily duo or the, the dynamic duo. Awesome. Uh, congratulations. Let, let, let's get to some deadline talk. I, are you surprised? I mean, I'm never really surprised, although I thought they kind of turned the page on this. Are you surprised at how busy the Yankees have been? I'm not surprised. They have to win the World Series this year. They haven't won since 2009. Expectations are unbelievably high, as they should be. And they said going in, we got to go get an outfielder. And they got Andrew Benintendi, a gold glover who gets on base all the time. So he fills the need. They had to go get a starting pitcher. They got Frankie Montas from the A's. And he's basically the second best starting pitcher to move during this period. He's really going to help them. And they needed to get a reliever. And they got two relievers, Lou Trevino in, in the trade with the A's today and Scott Efros in a trade with the Cubs today. So the Yankees have checked every box and they may not be done yet, but they've done everything they wanted to do at the trade deadline. And as good as they were before, they're better today. Uh, Jesse asked me at the start of this show if that takes him out of the running for Soto. I looked down at the prospect list and noticed that they still had their top four prospects. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they're out on Soto? Where do you think they rank on the Soto sweepstakes? I don't think they're in on Soto for right now, but I don't even know if Soto's going to get traded. The way they would get back in it for Soto, and we're way ahead of things, is yeah. if he stays with the Nationals 
and the Yankees lose Aaron Judge to free agency after the season. And they say, how in the world are we going to replace Aaron Judge? That's when they take their best, best prospects, go to the Nationals and say, all right, let's work a deal for Soto. That That's how I believe the Yankees are in it. And at the moment, I don't think they are because there are several teams that have a much greater need than they do. All right, so I don't want to radio you here where people hear you say something. This is just hypothetical. What does your gut tell you on Soto? Do you think that he'll stay or he'll go? Because when the news came out about him declining the deal, there were local writers suggesting like this was a fait accompli, like he was going to go. Now, not so much. Where's your gut tell you on Soto? Yeah, not so much. That's where I am right now. Look, this is a a trade of the highest magnitude. It'll be one of the biggest trades in the history of baseball. It would take normally like six months to engineer a trade like this. Mike Rizzo is going to have to do it in two and a half weeks. But Mike Rizzo is really smart and really shrewd, and he is not going to trade a generational player like this until he gets everything that he wants and he is asking for a ransom here so i don't think it's been offered yet and if he doesn't get it he's not going to trade soto so we're all guessing here tim my guess is at the moment soto is not going to move by tomorrow afternoon but (laughs) at the trade deadline he can move in five minutes and no one should be surprised no that is baseball and that is baseball these days especially with just one deadline it kind of throws the craps onto the table all right so let me ask you, what are you hearing on the Toronto Blue Jays? Because it's been relatively quiet on Jays' front. Right. Well, again, they were after a starting pitcher, as is virtually every other team out there. And Frankie Montas was on their radar, and he went to the Yankees. That doesn't mean they've stopped looking. I mean, Carlos Rodon might be available. The Giants... Uh, Maybe they're in this, maybe they're not. They're going to have to make up their mind. He pitched exceptionally well last night on Sunday Night Baseball. So the Blue Jays will be out looking, looking, looking. I don't anticipate them making a major trade at this point. And the way they've played lately, the way they've swung the bats especially, I wouldn't do too much to mess with this team unless somebody falls right in your lap. But this day and age, nobody falls in your lap anymore. Everybody knows everybody else's players and information. You're not swiping anybody from any team these days. You're going to Cooperstown because you've uh, or you've been to Cooperstown because you've seen a few things in your time, Mr. Kirchin. Does the Yankees' 11 and a half game lead in the American League East and maybe how good the Astros are affect? how Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, to a lesser extent, do their business in Toronto? Because that has to be something that you'd take into consideration. I think they have to take that into consideration. If you're realistic about things, the Yankees are not going anywhere. They're not going to lose this lead. And yes, that should affect what the Blue Jays do. The Blue Jays also have to keep an eye on the Astros, who are really, really good. And even though the Blue Jays potentially could beat both of those teams in the postseason if everything goes the right way, but you have to react to the people in front of you and be realistic and say, well, we're not going to win this division, so what's the next best option? Look, the Blue Jays are going to go to the playoffs. I'm pretty sure about that. But you got to be careful with the other teams in the American League. It is a stacked group. Did the return on Jose Castillo set the market high? 
Oh, my goodness. Yes. I had some people in the industry tell me they couldn't believe how much the Reds got in return for for Castillo. Now, let's keep in mind, this guy has been really good lately. He's got an elite changeup. He can be a difference maker. He can take a mild contender and turn him into a contender. He might even take a contender and turn them into a champion. I had an American League manager tell me, I like the Mariners. I think they're going to the playoffs. Now I'm positive they're going to the playoffs playoffs once they got Castillo but what they gave up just shocked the industry and uh, most most of my people in the business did not see that coming are you surprised at the reports that Otani is staying put no I'm not surprised at all he should stay put he's a he's the most remarkable player anybody has ever seen there is no way that the Angels should trade him unless they're absolutely 100% convinced right now that he is not going to resign with them after the 2023 season. They have to exhaust every possibility before they move him. And maybe he won't want to come back, but they don't know that now. And he's so much more than a baseball player. He is a rock star on every level. He's he's incredible. So I'm not surprised at all that they're not trading him. They shouldn't trade him but this time next year if they are sure he's not going to resign then they have to trade him this time next year otherwise they'll get two draft choices for a pitcher hitter like this yeah i'm i'm confused here which fan base listen the angels fan base has been able to watch him watch mike trout for a while they just haven't had the results they wanted which fan base do you think is more frustrated right now that fan base or the one in baltimore who finds themselves kind of sort of hunting around and then losing trey mancini basically to save two million dollars yeah i i've i wrestled with that one and i'm sorry i just don't get it trey mancini is the emotional leader of that team and i know you have to stick to the plan when you're a young rebuilding team like the orioles but they have put their fans through an awful lot the last five years and now you get a chance to even make a run at the playoffs and i don't think they're going to make it but to trade trey mancini for basically two A-ball pitchers who might be really good someday. Who knows? I would have hung on to him. I would have said, look, we owe it to our fans to make a run at the wild card here. And the best way to do that is to keep Trey Mancini not just in the middle of the order. He is revered in that town. And I'm still a little bit surprised that they moved him when I personally would have kept him. All right, I want one more, and it feels like we're going rapid fire here, but there's a lot going on, Mr. Kirchin. Uh, Josh Hader deal confounded some. Can you explain why a first-place team is trading Josh Hader? That's a good question. Um, he's making $11 million this year. Next year, in arbitration, he's going to make $15 million, and then he's going to free agency, and the Brewers looked at it like, we cannot afford this guy long-term. So they said, all right, He's the most dominant reliever over the last five years, averaging 15.4 strikeouts per nine innings. So they move him along. They get some very useful pieces back. And they have Devin Williams, who you mentioned, hasn't given up a run in his last 30 appearances. Last time he gave up a run was on May the 10th. So he can become the closer. Taylor Rogers can be the co-closer or pitch the eighth inning. Uh, But I'm still surprised. If I'm a Brewer fan or if I'm a member of the Brewers and I 
see Josh Hader walking out of the room, that's a tough pill to swallow. But these are the Brewers. They're not a small, small market team, but they're not a big market team. And sometimes they have to make really difficult decisions. And this one had to be one of the most difficult they've ever made. Uh, you just proved why you are now a member of, the, uh, of a very exclusive group. Thank you very much for doing this. Always great information and always great catching up with you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. There is Mr. Kirchin, who is uh, fresh off a trip to Cooperstown and the Career Excellence Award from the BBWAA. Tim and Tim. To... Sounds like a show. Tim and Tim. Pretty yeah, good. So does Jesse and Tim. Coming up, <laughs> it was a historic Euros as it finally came home for England in front of record crowds and audiences for the women's game. We'll discuss the amazing scenes next and whether this is the start of things to come as we continue on. Tim and Friends. Less than 24 hours away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and it has been a busy day, but we usually get trades on days before the deadline. But we got a signing just passed through on Jeff Passan's Twitter account, among others. Third baseman Austin Riley, Atlanta Braves, in Whoa. agreement, 10-year, $212 million deal, Whoa. which is an extension. This is from the Braves announcing it, so it's not just passing. It's that the Braves announced this. Now, Austin Riley was set to become a free agent in 2026, which means, if my math is correct, Jesse, three more years of control, and he is in the midst of his second monster year. So, obviously, the team believes in Riley, and again, when you look at the number that Fernando Tatis got, and I know he's younger, mm -hmm. I think uh, Austin's 25 right now in his 25 or his 25th year. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one as well. 212, and they lock him up for 10 years, including three years of control. Yeah, I mean, he's a great player. 300 average, 29 home runs this year. I, I'm just, the timing is very strange. <laughs> you said it. Like, they're, they're working towards deadline stuff, and I guess the Braves don't have much work to get done at the deadline, but you could announce that at literally any, any time. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, so maybe weird. it was something where they were working on this for a while. Yeah. And uh, maybe they wanted to get something done here and know what, where they stand with Austin Riley. Uh, but Alex Anthopoulos, as we know, just gets ish done. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's literally what he, he can does. He can do multiple things. He's a, he's a multitasker. Yeah, at once. But it, I don't know how much tinkering they're going to do with that lineup. Yeah. They look pretty good. Yeah, but I, listen, seeing this come across the wire, that's another one of those when you look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and you look at Bo Bichette and you project them forward and you think about years of control, 10 years, 200 million. Yeah, like 500 million in contracts given up between those two probably at some point. It's a lot. It's okay. Whatever. It's just money. Um, <laughs> I think it might be more. More than $500 million? Yeah, for Bo Bichette and Vladimir. For both of them together? Yeah, Vladdy's probably like 400 on his own. Right. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of cake. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Uh, they're going to get the bag. Uh, okay, amazing scenes in England yesterday as the English women beat Germany 2-1 in extra time at Wembley and secured their first ever major trophy and England's first since the 1966 World Cup, the party atmosphere was there all day and culminated in joyous scenes after the final whistle and in today's parade and celebration in London. Timmy, your thoughts as you saw the scenes throughout the tournament in the last couple of days, awesome. 
one, it would have been nice for it to be on Canadian television, but that's another story for another day. Uh, let me just read out some numbers to you, Jesse. Uh, the final attendance, the game for the, the final game mm -hmm. attendance, 87,192 on hand. The opening wow. game, England-Austria, 68,871. They basically broke the record for attendance at a woman's Euro halfway through the tournament. A couple weeks ago, Barca and Real Madrid on the women's side played each other in front of 91,553. On Friday, Barca played Wolfsburg. They had 91,648 at that game. Crazy. A women's cricket T20 in the World Cup in Melbourne had 86,174 on hand in Melbourne. Women's WNBA, obviously, numbers have been... It feels like... Listen, I don't know about North America yet. Women's tennis has always been there. But it feels like something maybe outside of North America is already building and or here. And it, it, may, it may need a deeper dive than what I'm just bringing up here. But never underestimate greedy SOBs. <laughs> Looking at something like this and thinking we've got as much blood out of the stone that is men's football, yeah. that is men's professional sport, where else can we grow? And what I'm saying and what I'm seeing is maybe that's women's sports. And this isn't us, you know, pacifying some sort of quota that we have to get bleep in here. 87,192 to see this game this weekend as it built to the spot. And I, I just wonder if there aren't people out there going, there's something to be had here. And it's obvious that there could be massive growth on the women's side of yeah. all of these games. Well, you just think of, of the excitement level, even in this country, when the Canadian women's teams in hockey, soccer, basketball, when they take center stage, there is this palpable excitement and it often is reflected in attendance numbers, especially for, for the soccer side. So it just feels like the, the one thing that has been lacking is just regularity, right? It's, it's, yeah, but we don't see those numbers in attendance at Women's World Championships in hockey. We see them on TV. Yeah. Massive numbers on TV in the Olympics, but we don't see them in World Championship as the not, not numbers. To, not to this extent. Not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But I, I just, listen, here, here's the one thing that I will take. The, the Barca numbers jump out at me and I wonder if that isn't the route to take and I've said this for years I've made the example about the Colombian uh, I don't know if you remember this but the pro sides in Colombia decided we were going to half our crests mm -hmm. and give one half to the men the other side to the women and the fans of those teams just started supporting and it's obvious that in Barcelona the women's side is getting the same thing and I wonder that you know if you're not MLSE or in Montreal and you're looking at the women's side of hockey and thinking like why don't we just split this why don't we just make this the Toronto Maple Leafs and have a women's team and have a men's team and the Montreal Canadiens have a women's team and have a men's team because I mean Wolfsburg Barca 91,000 it's obvious that Barca fans have just said this is our team period. Why did you have to give that idea out on national television? Why because couldn't you I just kept it for us? Because I've been and saying that could have been it. No, I've been saying it for years. Could have retired. Even, I've even pitched it to women who have come on this show who are trying to get the PWHPA to another level. And I, I've said I believe in this. I think this is the right way to go. 
and you know there's some humming and hawing, and maybe it's because the NHL still says, ah, we're not sure if we want to step all over another league that's already out there. This is how you do it. You get men's teams, and you get women's teams, and it's the same crest that the fans are cheering for. I mean, I love it. We should have taken it to, to the teams ourselves, but it's fine. Maybe we can still make money. Right. <laughs> or we can just help the women's game. Right, Time for a break. It doesn't always have to be self-serving. You're it's, right. It's, You're all, right. it's always about business, money, Jesse. The business you know that. wheels are going you right now. You know that. Man. When yeah, we return, yeah. we'll look back at you the incredible life and career <laughs> of Bill Russell, who just did what was right almost 100% of the time. Kenny the Jet Smith, who played under Russell, helps us reflect next right here on Tim and Friends. Good idea, man. Still to come on Tim and Friends, last call with Jesse Rubinoff and some more news from the MLB trade deadline, which may see the Boston Red Sox as sellers as we hit the deadline. Now, earlier in the show, we reflected on Bill Russell's amazing life and the impact that he had in so many different ways. Let's now take a closer look back on what was one of the greatest champions ever with the help of Arash Madani. There is a reverence that the basketball world has for him. Regardless of the generation, no matter where your fandom or allegiances lie, every hoops conversation about the GOAT has to include the finest champion in the history of the game. William Felton Russell owned more rings than he did fingers. And as impossible as winning 11 titles sounds, consider that he did it in a span of only 13 years. The Boston Celtics are once again the world champions. But that's just part of why when Bill Russell entered a room, heads would turn in unison. A stroll down the hallway would have living legends stop just to pay homage, show incredible respect. Oh, the great Bill Russell. <laughs> I just heard about the award. That's awesome. Unbelievable. That's, that's unbelievable for the award, not for you, obviously. <laughs> it's an honor to have your name on there. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Yes, the NBA Finals MVP is named after him. And when teams would celebrate reaching the peak of the mountain, there he was. Didn't matter the era, Bill Russell belonged in the center of the basketball universe just as much in the twilight of his life as he did in his heyday of patrolling the paint in the Boston Garden. Bill Russell is the greatest winner that sports has ever known. And at every level. He was one of the first in basketball to win the Triple Crown, NCAA title, Olympic gold medal, and an NBA championship. Russell became the first African-American to coach in the league, and it was in that role as player coach that he twice sprayed champagne in the locker room when the season ended. A couple of generations later, another of the great Celtics put it this way. Said Paul Pierce, Bill Russell set the standard of what it takes to be a champion. And to get there, he wouldn't let anyone get in his way. So much so that even in the later stages of his life, when he'd be feted with one lifetime achievement award after another, even at the podium surrounded by some of the finest big men to play in the NBA, Bill Russell took stock of who was around him and, well, he remained Bill. I would kick your ass. <laughs> Thank you.
His rivals couldn't hate him, and his fans admired him so. He was a pallbearer at Jackie Robinson's funeral. They only knew of one another, but when Robinson passed, his wife Rachel called Bill and told him, you were Jackie's favorite athlete. Sporting icon was only part of his life. On the day he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011, Barack Obama recounted the story of Russell being asked, are you a basketball player? He says, no. He says, that's what I do, that's not what I am. Long before athlete advocacy was on vogue or even acceptable, it was Bill Russell marching with Dr. King, standing by Muhammad Ali, using his voice and notoriety when he had much to lose personally by doing so. On a road trip to Kentucky in 1961, when a restaurant wouldn't serve black players on the Celtics, he refused to play in Lexington that night. During games, people in arenas yelled hateful, indecent things. He endured racism at every turn. Russell would later say, none of my medals or championships could shield my children from white supremacy. All I could do, Russell said, was try to instill in them the love and pride my parents instilled in me and hope it would be enough. Oh, and he did more than just that. Russell made a lifetime commitment to civil rights, founded youth mentoring organizations, stayed connected to the game and shared his wisdom with the Duncans and Bryants of the world, who, by the way, combined were one ring short of the legend they idolized. What Bill Russell was? A giant, champion, leader. And that was away from the basketball court. On it, as unmatched a winner as the game has ever seen. As I said off the top of the show, Bill Russell, a champion in every sense of the word and here to help us reminisce in the life and explain maybe to our younger audience just what it meant, not only one of our dudes, but a man who played for Bill Russell. And if I'm not mistaken, was basically drafted by him too, Kenny the Jet Smith. Kenny, welcome back and thanks for doing this. What will you remember most about the man? Well, again, you, you said it, Mud. I, I think, I, as you said that, I, I think I might be the only player in the NBA ever drafted by Bill Russell. Uh, so I was drafted, brought to the Sacramento Kings as a sixth pick. He was, a, he was the president, GM, and the coach at the same time. Um, so just an unbelievable storyteller. Uh, his rule was I was his rookie, so I had to sit next to him on every plane ride, every bus ride and every car ride because we actually lived not too far from each other uh, in Sacramento at the same time. So I got to hear all of the great stories that you could ever hear. Uh, you know what's even funnier and most interesting? Like he, he'd start a story and he'd say something like, yeah, I was just yeah, talking to Jackie or I was talking to, you know, Martin. I'm like, Jackie? He's like, yeah, Jackie Robinson, like, Martin Luther King. Like he, those people were <laughs> just a normal part of his conversations while we sat there on those plane rides and bus rides. It's not often that a rookie sits beside the head coach, GM, and president of the How the hell did that come about? Well, it came about, and it's it kind of been documented a little bit, but it came about because I, I was walking to the back of the bus at the first, first uh, bus ride, and he said, uh, Rook, you got to sit next to me. And I'm like, well, why do I have to sit next to you? And he's like, he stands up. And I'm like, well, coach, I want to, you know, sit with the fellas back. He's like, stood up in the middle of the bus. He said, you see all of these guys? They've been losers their whole life. If you want to be a champion, you sit next to me. And so 
I'm like, yeah, I want to be a champion. So I sat next to him. And for the whole the whole season, that whole time, until he, you know, he, he stopped that coaching that season. So first six months of the season, I sat next to him on every plane ride, every bus ride. You and I have had conversations about stars, like star every type of star. We talked about Chris Rock. We talked about uh, a bunch of different guys. He had this gravitational pull that superstar folks just kind of flock to him. Have you ever seen a man with that kind of pull? Well, he's your favorite athlete's favorite athlete. So, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if, if Michael Jordan walks into a room with Bill Russell, he's going to walk over to Bill Russell. If LeBron James walks in a room and Bill Russell's there, he's going to walk over to Bill Russell. You know, that's the type of, um, you know, person that he was because – at the end of the day, we all, you know, he, he accomplished so much off the court. And you see all of the awards that he received the, uh, for civil rights and all the things that he stood for. But at the end of the day, what athletes respect more than anything else is winning. And he's the greatest, as you said, the greatest winner that's ever touched a sport. Uh, he's the greatest winner. And, and so when winning is about everything for an athlete, and so when you see the greatest winner in your sport or in sports, you're going to pay homage no matter who that is. Was it also winning without sacrifice, Kenny? Because it, it seemed like a lot of that respect was his integrity and, and maybe his uncompromising principles. Like, to be able to win and not compromise, like, that's kind of what we all kind of try and be, no? Always would ask you, you know, like, what are you doing today to help us win? He never said, "What are you doing to get better as an individual?" <laughs> what are you doing today to help us win? Uh, you know, and I think that mentality is how he carried his life. Uh, he was, you know, such a, a big advocate about inclusion, uh, about you know, understanding as an African American what your responsibilities were as an athlete and as a person. Uh, but more importantly, what it was as a person. Um, he, he always took the, the, the correct road. I, I just remember um, two years ago when I decided to walk off the set. And um, I said, man, this is a big decision. And I, you know, I wasn't sure if I had done the right thing at that time because you know, I was standing up for social, uh, social justice, social cause. I thought it was important to walk off the set and show unity and what was happening with um, all the things in social unrest here, you know, in the States. Mm -hmm. And I saw the tweet from Bill Russell and I knew I did the right thing. The same night he tweets, oh, I love it, Kenny. Just keep getting in good trouble. That's awesome. Good trouble. I, I know um, I read a story about when he finally got the statue in Boston. You were there, weren't you? More than more than there. Uh, I got a call from the NBA, and I've always admired him. He's always been a mentor. There's things that I say to my kids. I say to you know my AAU teams I coach. My you know I say to Shaq and Charles that basically Bill Russell quotes right. you know from his mentorship. And I get a call from the NBA, and they say um, we're, we're re retiring his statue. We're going to put a statue in front of the Boston Garden for Bill Russell. I was like, oh wow, I'd love to be there. They said no. He asked you to MC it. I'm like, whoa. I like I played for him for six months, but I knew that those six months of sitting, you sit next to someone for four and five hours every day. Yeah. 
you do feel that Spurton. I'm just, I was just so excited that he had a bond with me the same way I felt with him. And, you know, and lastly, so I emceed the, with the greatest players that ever played in Boston. They all are there. His statue's being unveiled, and I'm the MC of the event. It was the most unique and un- inspiring moment in my life. And then last year, uh, it just so happened I was in Las Vegas at the same time. I, uh, and his wife calls me and says, Kenny, are you in Vegas? People saying they see you. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm in Vegas. I said, what hotel are you in? We happen to be in the same hotel. Right. So I go up. I have my youngest daughter, who's nine, my oldest son, my nephew, my middle son, and, with, and the rest of my family. And we go up in the room, and he tells stories for about four hours. This was last year. So I got to, you know, really spend some quality time again in the recent time and just talk about – he told all the stories about me <laughs> to my kids <laughs> as a rookie, but it was a, it was a great experience. And he talked about the, the importance of being a moment. It's, I, I, was, I was searching for the quote that I had earlier about uh, Babe Ruth, and I, Kobe Bryant said something similar about heroes being remembered, um, but legends are forever. What do you think Bill Russell would want his legacy to be? Coach Russell, you said, what do you want your legacy to be? I would think, just based on what I feel, not what he would say, but what I would feel is that I was a He never viewed himself externally as a like a or basketball coach. He always talked about himself being as a man what you should do in these moments. Basketball and a sport was the competitive side of being a man, but he always talked about what you should do as a as a person and as an individual and as a man. So, you know, if his legacy is people say he was a great man, which we are, yeah. I think he'd be happy. That's awesome. Uh, a champion through and through, and I'm not just talking about basketball. Kenny, appreciate you sharing your memories uh, of yes. one of my favorite athletes of all time, Bill Russell. All right, there is uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, friend of the show and friend of Bill Russell, who's uh, – Pitcher adorns our Hall of Fame behind Carson, our cameraman, right now. Uh, we'll take one last break and come back with Last Call from Jesse Rubinoff. Bill Russell, heroes are remembered, legends last forever. Time now for our Monday tip of the cap, which goes to Tony Finau, where he be now on top. Finau winning the Rocket Mortgage Classic by five strokes, giving him back-to-back wins on the PGA Tour. The 32-year-old who turned pro in 2007, making some wonder if he's changed the narrative in his career. Often in contention, but failing to close out tournaments, Finau won just his second career title 11 months ago and now becomes the first player in three years to go back-to-back in the regular season. Who do you hope these wins are inspiring? Yeah, hopefully the next generation, and especially my son back home. Trace Boy, it's for you, big dog. Um, you know, my kids, they see the work that dad puts in, the sacrifice that I make for our family, the time that it takes to be great at something. And it means everything to me that my kids can watch me not only fail, but they watch me win as well, and that's what it takes to be a champion. 
That's awesome. Yeah, what a clip. We hit last call with Jesse Rubinoff. And also, shout out Taylor Pendrith, who, although didn't really have the final round that he wanted, still a T2. Canadians. Solid. And Matami LeBlanc, who had the Scottish Open T8. I know they both would have liked better final rounds, but sometimes you got to take those steps, as Tony Finau just showed, before you get to that top. We're making, great some stories too. Yeah, we're making some noise as a country on the links lately. Yeah. Brooke obviously winning again, so. And not the regular names. Too. Yeah, not the regular awesome. names. Uh, they should have turned off the sign seal delivered in the background of that clip. I don't know. Do you hear it? Yeah. But Tony's getting yeah, into this. All right. Uh, let's get to another trade to tell you about that just went down in baseball. Sign Boston sending catcher Christian Vasquez to the Astros. Now, the two teams play tonight. It's a game you can see here on Sportsnet. So Vasquez just walking across the field to join his new team. And as he was doing that, he was stopped by a pool of reporters oh, no. and asked a couple questions about his new squad. Have a listen. I think so, yeah. How do you feel about being traded to the Astros It's a business. It's a business. What do you think about going to that team, considering where they're at in first place in the So that would be Red Sox PR literally pulling him away and probably escorting him to the Astros clubhouse. Is that saving him from having to answer those questions? I guess or so. is that you're no longer a member of our team? Don't talk <laughs> with our you uniform can't on. Talk about yeah. it being a business yeah. with our uniform on. Yeah, that's that's a strange run. You don't see that every day. But we were talking no. about that potentially happening with the Blue Jays and the Tigers, because the Tigers have some bullpen arms and never panned out, but uh, always fun. I don't know if I've that. ever seen it in the team uniform. Yeah that you just got traded from, and you're literally just changing clubhouses for a game that you can see tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet. Nice, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he does play, because that would be fun. Uh, are you surprised that the Red Sox uh, it's are been sellers? No, this, this has been talked about for a while, and especially locally in Boston, where there was like a glimmer of hope, and maybe this team could turn into something, and they got really hot for a while, but I think if you really peel back the onion on this one, they're not good enough. And I think there's a lot of people out there who believe that they're not good enough, especially in the Boston area, and want to see them make sure that in the American League East, they maximize what they can get back for a couple of different players. And now I guess the question turns to Bogarts. Yeah, I mean, the, the J series feels like it was the nail in the coffin there for the Red Sox. Like they had a little yeah. bit of leeway there, and then the 28 to 5 probably slammed the door shut on the Red Sox season. So yeah, Bogarts, as you mentioned, we'll see what else uh, goes down. Another uh, trademark finds in reporting that the Reds are finalizing a deal to trade Tommy Pham appears to be either the Mets or the Red Sox. We just talked about uh, the Red Sox potentially selling everything, but they appear to be in the mix for Tommy Pham. But who knows what the deal is. Do, do you feel like they're actually going to sell everything? Like, I, I threw out Bogart's name because people have brought him up, but he's a really good player, and he is signed through, I mean, I guess it was six years, 120, and then there's an option for 20, yeah. 2026. Like, he's not going to. No, there's maybe. certain guys that are still going to be a part of the core. I think J.D. Martinez, his interview last night, right. sort of said, you know, if this happens to be my last game, then I've enjoyed my time in Boston or whatever. So he feels like he's probably on the way I out. I feel like what happens in these situations where teams are trying to decide, if they do decide, people go to the sexiest name possible and they yeah. throw that name out there. I just don't know that Xander Bogarts is going to be dealt in the next 24 hours. Maybe they examine what they are moving forward, but he's still a great player. Yeah. 
<laughs> Bogart's name is certainly floating around there on the Blue Jays Twitter, Twitter sphere because, of course, it is. Right. The Jays are getting him. a little antsy. Because he leads <laughs> the league in hits. Yeah, no, he's yeah. pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, oh, Jim Bowden now saying that it is, in fact, to the Boston Red Sox. We'll get an update. So Tommy Pham is going to the Reds. Yeah. We'll see what, what's coming back the other way. Uh, to hockey we go. And Nazem Kadri remains unsigned. As we talk about the craziness. Jock Peterson going. <laughs> we talk about the craziness of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. And here Nazem Kadri stands as a free agent. The biggest remaining on the market still hasn't signed. Rumors are swirling over the weekend that he might be close to signing with the Islanders. Is Kadri a good fit on the island? I mean, he'll fit in well with that fan base. He'll fit in well with that team because that's what he does. I don't know. Listen, he thrived as not being the man on a team. And I think going through what he went through in Toronto, there was a certain appreciation of not having to be the man on the team and being able to deliver the way that he did. If he went to the island, he would be the man. He would fit in well. I don't know how good that team is. And what's happening in, in hockey right now is that People who thought they were going to get paid a lot of money didn't end up getting that money. And I think Nazem Kadri's falling into that category as well. And because of it, he's falling to teams that he might. So listen, he deserves the bag that he's going to get, especially at his age. You want to make sure that you are taken care of for the rest of your life and maybe a generation of your family is taken care of for the rest of your life. The question is, do you want to win? during that contract as well, because that's harder to do given the salary cap. And the NHL here, like I know it's revenues, I know like the flat cap and the addition of just a million dollars, look what they're paying in baseball right now. Mm -hmm. Like there's a stark difference on what's going on in every other sport and what's going on in NHL hockey right now. And the, the salaries just aren't moving in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I just think back to the first baseball contract that really, like, blew me away. And I think it was the A-Rod deal. I think that was the first one where I was But like, look, even in basketball, I know yeah. there's less players in a basketball. Like, yeah. every other sport, the, the numbers are completely and utterly <laughs> blowing up. And in hockey, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. We'll have to see how they address it uh, moving forward. Because it is putting some teams in a jam, for sure. Uh, 73-year-old Ric Flair was victorious in his final wrestling match Woo! last night. The Nature Boy getting Jeff Jarrett to tap out in his signature figure four leg lock to win the tag team match. Timmy, will you come back and host a show when you're 73 years old? You're assuming that I'll be able to retire before the age of 73. <laughs> I, I'll say this about Ric Flair. I thought this was going to be like sad Pele showing up for the bag of money and leaving. And having seen what it, be- it was actually fun. I know. Like he did well. It, it, it made some sense. He's, like, he's a I, legend. I thought it was going to be sad and it ended up going the other way. It turned me. It was a circus. Like Brock Lesnar, did you see what he did with <laughs> yeah, the ring? Yeah. And like Logan Paul was actually a pretty good wrestler. Probably a better wrestler than he is a Went boxer. Went through a table. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, that does it for us. Listen, Astros Red Sox coming up. That all of a sudden became a lot more interesting. <laughs> 8 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet. Monday Night Raw, speaking of Ric Flair, coming up later on Sportsnet 360. Dodgers and Giants and Sportsnet 1. And if you want, Nationals and will Soto play? That's on Sportsnet now. Good question. All right, we'll be back tomorrow.